good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Through the storm. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love I love to to see people come in the rain to meet with Jesus together. <laughs> yes. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, just excited to get into everything with all of you today. Um, we are in a new series. This is our second week in the series in Hebrews. If you got your Hebrews journal, uh, I hope you've been reading and writing this week uh, on the app. I've been posting uh, some extra extracurricular uh, activities or thoughts on Hebrews. Uh, and so if you aren't on that, make sure at the end you listen on how to get on that. There's so much in Hebrews that we just will never be able to cover everything on Sunday. Uh, and so I've, I'm just going to be dropping uh, some more thought on what we've covered on Sunday on those scriptures on the app throughout the week. Uh, and you have your journal so that you can be reading along. And I encourage you, read ahead. You know, I'll post what scripture we're going to be doing on Sunday as well on the app. Read ahead, write down your thoughts, write down what you feel God is speaking to you, what you're learning about it, so that you can come ready, extra ready to just receive what we have from the word. Um, and so we're going to be uh, reading the rest of Hebrews chapter 2 today. Last week we did an intro with Hebrews chapter 1 um, to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, ending in verse 4. So we're picking up in verse 5 and we're reading through the end of the chapter today. Um, and so last week, what we really talked about, if you missed it, or just to give you a, a quick recap of it, is the, the preacher, so this is, right, we said Hebrews is not an epistle, it is not a letter, it doesn't start with a greeting, doesn't have a conclusion, it is a written sermon. Uh, to a church in an urban city, in an urban context that is struggling with their faith, who, who have uh, been around for a while. They've been around the block, but deeper persecution is coming and they are struggling with their faith. And so the writer wanted uh, to come and preach this, but instead wrote it, the sermon down to get to them. And so we get the insight into this sermon uh, that was written to them, most likely to the church in Jerusalem or to the church in Rome. Um, and so last week we read uh, about how Jesus gives us the greatest message. He is the greatest messenger. He is greater than any angel or messenger that has ever come. Uh, literally, angel is also translated as messenger in the Greek. And so he is the greatest messenger. He is the greatest angel that has ever come to give us the greatest covenant, uh, the perfect covenant. And then the, the preacher ends with this warning. Because of how, how great Jesus is, do not turn away from the message our Lord has left us. And so at the end of that warning is where we pick up today, where the preacher transitions now to how Jesus brought this greater covenant. And so the name of today's message is Greater Than Adam. Greater Than Adam. And we're going to start off in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 5 to 8. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So you can read along with me on the screens. If you have your Hebrews journal with you, you can read in there, highlight, uh, take notes. We'll be giving, if you didn't get it last week, we'll be giving them away today, again, after service. Um, so you can pick that up as you head out over here. Uh, so starting in verse five, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the, whole, the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere 
What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So the preacher starts off with this kind of transitionary line by once again showing Jesus's supremacy to angels. And if you want to, you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back, listen to it on YouTube, listen to it on SoundCloud, uh, so you can get a fuller understanding of the series and kind of this transition. But to wrap it up, Jesus is greater than the angels. Therefore, showing Jesus's supremacy, what the preacher does is he shifts to a quote from Psalm chapter 8. And in this psalm, what's interesting about this psalm is when the, the psalmist wrote it, he wrote it in this relationship to mankind of speaking of mankind that what is man that you are mindful of him or son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection underneath his feet. What the psalmist was quoting and speaking to was Genesis chapter one, verse 28, which is really the, the mandate that was given to the first man and to first woman. And it says this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so Adam and Eve were given this mandate from God in the very beginning. Have dominion over everything. Put everything in subjugation to you. Have dominion. But if you know the story of Adam and Eve, God gave them this mandate and then something goes horribly wrong. What do they do? They disobey God and they sin. They rebel against him. And this mandate is never truly fulfilled through Adam and Eve. And so the preacher takes this psalm who points back to the beginning of what we were created to do and then relates it to Jesus, who in first Corinthians is called the last Adam. Because Jesus, as we're learning and as the psalmist is pointing out, is actually the only one that can truly fulfill the mandate that was given to Adam and Eve. Because they sinned against God and they rebelled, they were never able to fulfill. They, they were sinless up until this point. They would have been able to fulfill it. But when they rebelled, when they ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil and, and gave in to the temptation, what happened was sin entered, systemic sin entered, death Entered, Satan began his reign over us through death. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. Meaning that only Christ can actually fulfill the mandate that was given to humankind. To subdue all things and have dominion over the earth. And so this... Hasn't happened yet, the psalmist is saying, or the, the, the writer is saying, he says in verse 8, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control, but he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Meaning this, this is what we were created for. This is what we were supposed to live in. This is who we were created to be. But we failed. Through sin, what happened? Death entered Satan began his reign over humankind through death, through sin, and we were never able to fulfill this mandate. But in Christ, 
We see that he was able to fulfill this and not everything yet is in subjection to him. But now this becomes a prophetic voice to the future of all things will come into subjection to Jesus. See, the intention was for humans to live sinless in the presence of God. This is what we're we were created for to live sinless in his presence, glorifying him. But sin marred that. So Jesus had to come bodily. He had to come as a as a human, as a person to restore our relationship to this state of being in the presence of God, seen as sinless. Jesus coming bodily, this is called the doctrine of the incarnation in John one, in the Gospel of John, chapter one, he puts it this way, that God came and dwelt among us. God came and dwelt among us. See, what's going to happen for the rest of chapter two in Hebrews is it is going to be an exposition on the importance of the incarnation. Why was it important that Jesus actually came as a human being with flesh and blood? Why was it important that he came? It was incredibly important that he came as flesh and blood. And the preacher is about to explain why, because the only way to truly restore and bring us to this place that we were supposed to be of restoration into the the fullness of what humans were created to do, of fullness and flourishing. Jesus had to come as a human. So the rest that follows here in Hebrews chapter two is actually a treatise of why Jesus had to come. In his human form, in order to save us all. So let's read in verse 9. He begins. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Again, quoting Psalm 8. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, the first reason Jesus had to come in the form of a man was so that he could die. This is important. He could not die in his eternal state in heaven. So he had to come in the form of a man so that he could die. You know, what's really interesting about this text is this is actually the first time that the name Jesus is used in the text. And there's a reason why the preacher is using the name Jesus here as the first time. Previously, he's only referring to Jesus as Lord. But he uses the name Jesus here because he wants us to truly grasp the fullness of the incarnation because the name Jesus is the human name given to our Lord and Savior while he's here on earth. And so in order for us to truly grasp the understanding of Jesus came in human form, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to exhort you because of that, and I'm going to show you in Scripture why that was important. I am, he, the, the preacher actually begins to use the name Jesus because that was his human name. That was the name of him coming into humanity. And so he transitions from Lord to Jesus now. The preacher wants the impact of the incarnation to resonate And what he's saying right now, the importance of it. So he says, Jesus, the human form of our Lord, had to die. Because he needed to experience death. 
He needed to experience death. As we know in scripture, he needed to experience death. Why? To satisfy the wrath of God for our sin. See, if Jesus never came as a human, he would have never been able to experience death. And if he never experienced death, then justice would have never happened for our sin. You know, in the very beginning, if we go back to Genesis, what was the judgment for sin? Thank you. It was death. We've got somebody that knows the word. Right? God in the very beginning told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So from the very beginning, disobedience, the judgment for that was death. And we see how that plays out in all of scripture, even in the law. One of my uh, favorite sermons in our series on Deuteronomy uh, was why they had to kill an animal and sacrifice for a crime that they didn't know who committed it. And the interesting thing about that was it's a story of redemption. The justice of God must be satisfied. It has to be satisfied and death is the proclamation for sin. And so Jesus had to come as a human so that he could taste death and satisfy God's wrath and judgment. Without his humanity, we would have never had his sacrifice. The next point the preacher makes in verse 10 is this. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder or champion. So this word here, if you look, there's if, almost every translation has a different word that they use uh, here. Uh, and after looking through and looking at the Greek, I think the best word here to use is actually champion, which is why I love that we sang that song uh, right before we started. So it should make the champion of our salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I or Jesus would tell of your or God's name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I, Jesus, will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. So we start out this verse that Jesus, the humanity of God, the, the bodily person of God had to happen in order to bring many sons to glory. Glory here is another word for salvation. Jesus had to share in our humanity to bring us to glory in order to bring us to salvation. If Jesus never came as a human, we would have never been able to share in the glory or the salvation of God. When he does this, he becomes our champion who calls us family and he teaches us about the ways of God. This is beautiful. These verses that are quoting, I love it because it's, it says stuff about Jesus that are so crucial even to how we meet as a church on Sunday. That he is the one who first and foremost proclaims the great name of God among us. He sings with us every Sunday when we assemble and we worship. 
He is the one that first and foremost points us to the Father in full trust for all that we have. He stands here and gathers us and calls us part of his own flesh and blood. Jesus had to come in order to bring us to God. If he never came, he would never be able to bring us to God. And because we are his family and he is our champion, look at what he does, which is incredibly special. In verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He had to come in order to defeat our great adversary, the devil. See, the difference between Jesus's death and our death is actually quite massive. When we die, when any of us die or people that have ever died in the past, we die for one reason. We die because of our rebellion towards God that started with Adam and Eve. Christ died, though, not because of his rebellion or disobedience, but he died because or out of his obedience to God. It's a very different reason for his death. And because he died not through disobedience and rebellion, But because he died out of his obedience to God, it rendered the devil's power useless over him in death. Meaning Satan's defeat was imminent through the death of Jesus. See, what's crazy is that God created you and me for dominion. He created us to have dominion over all the earth, but instead... We are slaves. We are living in bondage. Here specifically, it says slaves of fear. Who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So fear created this slavery among us of death and the power of death over us and sin. There's always a reversal of fortunes, I find. That many times the enemy will look at how God has created us and try to make us live in the opposite direction of where God has called us to go. You know, in my life, I see that in two ways. The two greatest struggles that I've had in my life, especially as a young adult, were insecurity and lust. But the two greatest things that God has called me to are confidence and purity. But yet, as a child, I think about my childhood, and from a very young age, the enemy started with me. You know, every time I reminisce about my childhood, I I always just say, God, thank you, Jesus. I don't know how I made it out alive. From a very young age, I remember the, the, you know, I was never one of those kids that said girls are disgusting. I'll put it that way. I remember my first girlfriend was at four years old. I had my first girlfriend. (laughs) And I didn't stop after that. (laughs) 
You know, and just the, the, the wild stories of my childhood. I remember in kindergarten, as a, as a kid, in kindergarten in a Christian school, a girl revealing her private part to me. As a kindergartner. And then asking me to show me hers, I said no. But I still remember, even as an adult, I remember that moment thinking that the enemy started from a young age. I didn't ask for it. It wasn't there. She, during nap time, she just, she was on the mat next to me and she, she just said, Justin, I said, yeah, she woke up and she goes, look at this. And it's wild to me that even from that young age, and then I have story after story of that throughout my entire childhood. You know, first time looking at pornography, being at one of my friend's house when I was in fifth grade. You know, the, the first time a girl asking to have sex with me, I was in fourth grade and she made fun of me because I told her no. And these were all people in the church, right? The enemy was coming after me. Yet somehow I got married as a virgin, right? Because throughout all of that, God knew what he was calling me specifically for. And I told Heather what my personality and what would I struggle with, there's no way that I would have remained faithful to her if I had had sex with anybody else besides her. So I thank God that he saved me from that. This is a little too real for some of you, but welcome to church at Zion. <laughs> Right, and the insecurity in me, I, would have, I, I was called from a young age, I knew that my calling was to preach the gospel with confidence. Yet here I was, so worried about what everybody thought about me. You cannot preach with confidence if you are more worried about what people think about you than what God thinks about you. Because there are so many things that God says that will make people upset, but him very happy. And so what the devil does is he looks at what we were called for, that we were called for dominion. And he says, instead of dominion, I am going to make you slaves. You are going to be in bondage. You will not rule. You will not reign over everything. Instead, you will not be able to control yourself. You will not have any say over your future. Instead, you will serve me in life and in death. Through sin and its power over you. And we see how this fear, this slavery masters us in so many different ways. In anxieties and in phobias and in restless hustle in our lives. How we are constantly striving and wanting and needing. Because of the slavery that we have been put under. But what Jesus' defeat of death does is it frees us from the master of sin and death and a life of slavery and a fear of death and all things that that fear brings. See, the thing is, we have to not be sidetracked that many of the things, the fears in our life and the sin in our life the things that we face have demonic value. And what I found is that Christians either over, over prescribe everything to the devil or under prescribe everything from the devil. Meaning either the devil is the cause of everything or the devil is never the cause of anything. And there, there is a middle ground there. 
that you stubbing your toe at night is probably not the devil. (laughs) But your inclination to curse everybody out and hate your life and be angry at everybody in your family may be the devil through sin in your life. See, the the slavery that we have is demonic. The slavery that we face in our life. It is the devil trying to exert authority over us that Jesus has already come and broken. And what we have to do is remember that it says that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. And if you don't know who that is, he says, then let me name him for you, the devil. And to deliver everyone that through the fear of this death were subject to slavery. He had to come in order to defeat our great adversary, the devil. You are not supposed to be defeating the devil in your life. You are supposed to confidently rest in what Jesus has already done. Who has defeated the great adversary that we face, the devil. And the preacher concludes with this one last point. He says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted or tested is a better word here. He is able to help those who are being tempted or tested. He came as a human because he had to be like us in every respect. He had to suffer like us. He had to die like us. He had to be tested like us. Because in order to truly purify us, he had to be a priest for us. And the code of the priesthood, the beautiful thing about it, is a priest had to be raised up from among the people. And so Jesus had to come to be part of the people, suffer like the people, die like the people, ultimately be tested like the people so that he could be a priest from the people. And in being our priest, what does he do? He purifies us because that's what the priests do. We read in chapter one last week that that is what Jesus came and he did. He purified us so that we can stand before God and God no longer sees the sinful Justin, the Justin that has done all the things that Justin has done wrong in his life. But instead, he sees Justin purified by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, by the high priest Jesus. Who now stands before God in all of his glory, sinless because of Jesus. And so now what we do have 
is we have an empathetic high priest who sympathizes with our struggle, who sympathizes with our pain, who sympathizes with who we are. You know, one of the funniest things uh, on the campaign trail, I forget which candidate did this. This was about eight years ago. It was, uh, it was the um, Obama and Romney, but it was in the Democratic primary, one of the candidates uh, made a reference about you know, how hard it is today because the price of milk is going up. And you know, one thing that you know uh, is when you've truly become rich is you no longer know the price of milk. This is like one of the things that people have historically gauged. And so the reporter that was interviewing the candidate said, do you know what the price of milk is? And the candidate couldn't answer the question. And so here was this candidate who was going to lead a nation who is historically, most people are either middle class or in poverty. There's a very small percentage that are considered wealthy who is in that small percentage but was trying to empathize with the middle class and with the poor but really couldn't empathize because didn't understand the struggle. And a lot of times we have leaders that pretend to empathize with us but don't actually understand the struggle that we've gone through. And so here the preacher of Hebrews is saying that we truly have a leader and a king who knows what we go through, who knows how we suffer, who knows how we are tested, and as a high priest who purifies us and then judges us, can empathize with us in our situation. Amen and praise God. He knows our struggles. He knows our tests. He understands our sufferings. He defeated our foe, and he even stands among us today, pointing us to the Father, singing with us in worship, declaring the goodness of God, calling us to trust in all that God has. He was the greater Adam. He did what Adam could not do. But now in him, We can be all that Adam was supposed to be. Free, loved, familial, eternal. See, the call to action today is to remember that Jesus came, that every time you use the name of Jesus, that should be a symbol of remembrance that he came. The only reason why we have the name Jesus is because we have a God who dwelt among us. If he never dwelt among us, then we'd never have the name Jesus. And every time we call the name Jesus in our struggles or for our salvation, we are calling upon an empathetic high priest who purifies us for our sins, who we are calling on a champion who has defeated our foes. And even now, he is pointing us to the Father. Even now, he is singing with us when we sing. Even now, he is calling us to trust in our God. Will you call on Jesus as your champion? Will you call him as your savior, as your brother, and as your friend? 
Literally, the name Jesus ascribes all of these attributes to our God. That he is not ashamed to gather us in glory with him, calling us brother and sister, calling us family. Because he has purified us with his great sacrifice, dying not out of disobedience, but obedience to the will of God. Can you stand with me as we pray?